pray that that will happen this morning. We're going to talk about some things that are the history of our country, why we're where we're at in some degree. I want to say this hour again, last hour, people say that I'm meddling in their, in their social media, and I understand that because if you're a Christian, you spend more time in your social media than you in the scripture, there's something very wrong, and yet that's the large number of us. I'm going to give some statistics this morning and read you a couple of things that are from our history. And I've been uh, shot at for preaching politics. I, I preach as little politics as any preacher I know. But the facts are the facts. And if you're not strong enough to take it, please don't shoot me. Aim somewhere else. These are going to be some simple facts. There are not many. There are a couple. And we'll move on. We're looking mostly at the scripture, the answer to the problem. And we have it in Jesus Christ. Last week we ended with this. Jesus was teaching and preaching. And uh, we learned the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked from Jeremiah 17 and 9. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 and 10. I the Lord search the hearts. I try the reins. Even to give every man according to his ways. And according to the fruit of his doings. That's the premise. We're going to look at some things this morning. That's where we ended last week, and the question we have before us is, do we question the Lord's authority? Do we who call ourselves Christians, who are, and we make up what is called the church, do we question the Lord's authority? I can't answer that for you. Most of the world does. Let's start with prayer. If you'd pray with me. Father, we just thank you now for this time and this hour. Pray that you would push out all the cares of this life, and there are so many. Allow us to have an hour before you, bowing before you with our hearts and our spirits and our soul. A time of refreshing from your word that you would just lead us. We pray for an understanding this morning from each one listening who you are and our great need for you in our lives. We pray that everyone here understands the need of salvation and what it brings the eternal implications. And so, Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you for a time to gather. We thank you we're still free to do this. And, Father, we look into your word. Help us to see your word as it is, the answer, the truth. And so, Father, help us now as we go into this hour. Be with us and teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The question of our Lord's authority, and we... I uh, promised last week, I guess, I was told by three people that I said we'd be in the tribute money. Well, we were getting to it, and we didn't get to it. So we're going to get to it this morning. I preach on money when it comes up in the text. I preach um, through the Bible. I don't preach topically. And I don't just have a topic of some Sunday going, I think we need to talk about money again. I don't believe in that. I believe if the Lord doesn't uh, move your heart with your money, I don't want to move it either. I don't want your money if you don't want to give it. And I, uh, this church doesn't need a whole lot of money. We do very well. But people here are free givers. They give well. I don't preach on money uh, unless it's in the text. It's in the text today. And it is the question, shall we pay taxes or not? Shall we pay taxes to Caesar? And the Lord's answer, I think, I think this is one of the most overlooked teachings from the Bible. 
I really believe it. I believe that this answer, people look at it and go, that was nice. I mean, that was interesting. And that isn't the answer they wanted. And, so, and they just overlook it. When I believe this is, in my mind, it's one of the top three things Jesus said about what it means to be a disciple of his, what it means to be a Christian. The reason most people don't want to be Christians is because of the Christians. The reason pe most people say they don't want to be a Christian is because of people who say they're Christians that they know. And that's not always the answer. And it's oftentimes just an excuse. But that's the reason I hear mostly on why most people don't want to be a Christian. And if you don't want to be one, you're in a good position because you don't have to. But boy, the, the benefits of being a child of God is amazing. And it goes forever. And so we have this passage before us this morning. It is Luke and chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. And so when we ask the question to our own hearts, do we question the Lord's authority? And when you see the word in the Bible, Lord, and it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, capital Lord, when you see that in the Bible, more than anywhere else, because it's all capital, it means this, it means master and owner, and it's all true. It's particularly true of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah speaks of the Lord, capital letters, as owner and master. The book of Isaiah begins with this concept. The ass knows his crib, and the ox, his owner's stall. Why don't Christians know where they belong in this world? That's the, that's the question, the burning question from, and then he takes 66 chapters to answer that question. Do we feel, do we as Christians feel the sting of conviction uh, how do we respond to this being the Lord? And so, if you look at Luke 20 and verse 21, it says, And they asked him, continuing in our passage, they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither accept thou any person, but teaches the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you tempt me? Show me a penny whose image and superscription is in it or on it. And they answered and said, Caesar's. Now listen to his answer. This is an answer that had he answered any other way, they would have had justifiable uh, reason before the courts of the land to take him out. But he's God. And I'm going to say this before we read the answer. And you know what it is. Don't try to trick him or catch him in his words or try to twist the scriptures around into something else. I mean this when I say that people get really upset with me. If you're in any other media than you are in scripture as a Christian, you're failing yourself. Studying scripture in the word of God. Needing and desiring the understanding of his teaching, what it means to be a Christian. You ask people, are you a Christian? They'll say yes or no, but ask them what it means to be a Christian and listen to the answers. It's amazing. And they answered when he said, whose inscription and whose superscription and image is on this coin? They said, Caesar, and verse 25 says, and he said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's and unto God the things which be God's. Now, I'm telling you, I believe this is one of the strongest statements found in Scripture for our understanding. Whose picture is on it? 
Whose image was that cast in? And they said, it was Caesar's. It has his picture on it. He said, then it's his. Give it back. Very, very simply, it's his. Give it back. But listen to what else he said. And unto God, the things that are his, the things that are God's. Well, and they could not take hold of his words before the people. And they marveled at his answer and held their peace. Isn't that a good answer? Genesis 1 and 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness. He's speaking to the Son and the Holy Ghost. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowls of the air and over all cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. What does that do to the teaching of the coin? What does that do to the teaching where Jesus said with his mouth, God came here to say this to us, render unto God the things that are his. How do you know what's his? What's in his image? Folks, this is, this is one of those things a preacher wrestled with because it could take the rest of the hour and the rest of the year to talk about this. Or we give you the concept and move on, which is what we're going to do today. You're welcome. God created man in his own image. In, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Listen carefully now. I know this is going to burn some people. Male and female made he them. Isn't that something? God made male and female. We can monkey with that and booger that up all we want to, but when we stand before the Lord, he's going to say, that wasn't in my work, that was yours. The confusion that comes from changing God's plan, God's purpose, God's creation, the confusion that comes from that. And I know that you know some little person who's a sweet little person that's confused. We all do, and God love them. But it's confusion. It is confusion. God made us in, our, in his image, male and female. Guess how he made us in his image? I don't know the answer completely, but he made us emotional. He made us to love and to hate, as he does. He made us part of the creative process and, and there's no one on this planet you care about like your own children. I don't care who you are. You can tell me you do and if you do, there's something wrong with your heart. Nobody you care about on this planet like those little people that look and act like you. And that's part of the blessing and it's part of the curse. But I'm going to tell you something. Isn't that right? Mess with me. Bring it. Mess with me. Don't touch the kids. <laughs> Leave the kids alone. I heard my dad tell him, man, you can mess with me. You mess with the kids, I'm going to send their mother. He said, I told people that when I was young. He said, I meant it too. And my dad wasn't a fun man to face, but mom would apparently have been a tiger. And that's the way it should be, by the way. Well, there should be a love in the heart of a mother. And we see that's dissipating in the world. I don't understand it. I don't understand it, but it's true. And so we move on. Render. Render unto God the things that are God's. What does render mean? I looked up the word in this particular passage and it says, render means give away. That is to give up, give over, give back. Give back to God the things that are God's. Give it back. What does that mean? Think about it. Give it back. It's his. To give, deliver, again, again, repay. 
Repayment to be made. Perform, recompense, render, requite, to restore, reward, to sell, to yield. All of those words are tied up in this. Give it back to God. Give it back to God. Anybody in this building ever seen anything sweeter than a newborn baby? You know anything sweeter than a newborn baby? Before the ego sets in and before all that? Before they meet their siblings and have to defend themselves? And before they start lying to mom and dad and start saying by screaming in the crib, come, I need you, I need you, you go in there, they grin at you. They're learning to lie. But there's nothing sweeter than a brand new baby. Amen, brother. They even smell good. About two, about three days, they smell pretty good. But man, there's nothing. And you know what that's doing? That's God saying, a little bit is how I feel about you. You're my creation. This is how I feel about you. I love you. You get a normal mother and dad having a baby and try to hurt that baby and see what you get. Now, that's how God feels about us. Aren't you glad this morning? Yes. That's how God feels about you and me. We're his, we're his children. He loves us. And though we are, he allows people to do things to us, and mostly we hurt each other along the way, but he allows things to happen. But he said this, they'll talk to me about that one day. We'll, we'll, we're going we're to visit that again. And so what does it mean? This is the thing. What does it mean to render to God the things that are God's? What does that mean? Give back, give up, repay. Give. What does that mean for a Christian to give back to God the things that's his? Give it up. Just, just give it to it. Just yourself. Give yourself to God. Again, I, I, believe that's, I believe that's one of the, I think, three in my mind. I've pondered this now for three weeks and prayed about it. I think it's one of the three strongest statements that Jesus Christ made on earth. I think it's one, for me it is anyway, but it's one of the three strongest things that Jesus said. And it's one of the most ignored and dismissed. Oh, that was his answer about taxes. That's what we think about. No, it was his answer about if it's yours, if it's yours, if it's not, and whoever it is, there is a great responsibility there. Give it back. Christians want to live their life. I'm going to live my life. Go ahead. Psalm 19 and 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We amplify that. The law, the precept and the statute, the word of God, the law of God is perfect, converting the soul. Converting means to turn back. Turns back the soul. These little babies come home again, the little baby comes home and there's nothing sweeter. You get that kid about in the fifth grade and their brain and their mouth get uncoordinated. They don't get in sync anymore. Return to that sweetness. Return to the innocence is what it says. Now, the first teaching on money from the Bible carries a mandate. There are two teachings, and you look in your Bibles, and you look in the commentaries, and some people tie them together, and other people say they're very separate. I see them down as two separate times completely because of the dates they're even recorded. But one, uh, the second recording about money in the Bible, it says in Matthew 17 and 24, recorded only there, and when they come to Capernaum, they that received tribute or taxes, money, came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? And he said, Yes. And when he was come in the house, Jesus prevented him 
saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Now notice when, notice when uh, Jesus is talking to Peter and he's acting in the flesh, he calls him his name of the flesh. He calls him his fleshly name. Jesus named him Peter. His dad named him Simon. Peter means a stone. Peter means rock. Foundation. Simon is just a fleshly name. And Jesus said, that's from the flesh. And so he says this, Peter, what thinkest thou? Here's the question. Whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? From whom? Of their own children or of strangers? And Peter said to him, of strangers, listen to this answer. It could only come from God. And Jesus said, there are, uh, then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Does being a Christian just allow you to offend everything you don't like? Oh, that makes you mad to me. Oh, that makes you mad at me, doesn't it? We're going to stand before the Lord and give an account one day of how we live in this life. And I'm going to tell you a real little secret that Christians don't seem to know. People aren't drawn to hateful, bitter people. People are not drawn to sharp-tongued, wrinkled noses, finger-pointing people who call themselves Christians who just can't believe that nobody lives on their level. Just can't believe it. Makes me so mad that you don't know how to act like me. Folks, Jesus said, Peter answered the question. He said, is your master paid in tribute? Now, this is, a, this is a temple tax, by the way. This is a different deal. This is a tax. It's a, it, was a, it was written into law at the time, but it was basically voluntary. No one pushed it. But they just wanted to know about Jesus. Does he pay the temple tax or not? Peter said, well, yeah. He came to the house and Jesus said, Peter, <laughs> who pays taxes on the temple? Now, the question clearly is, and the topic here is, what is his relationship to the temple? He said, it's my father's house. And, and so the Lord said, do the children pay taxes on it or do the strangers? He said, strangers. He said, then are the children free? Notwithstanding, nonetheless, he said not to offend them. And here's what he said. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take up the first fish. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and for thee. How do you like to pay your taxes by going fishing? Gut that bass. We need $10,000, man. But you know what he showed? Two things. He said, I'm not going to offend those people. They haven't. Here's, here's why he didn't want to offend. People who didn't have the understanding of who he was. He didn't want to offend those people. Why? The Bible says several places an offended brother is hard to be won. Hard to be won. Someone comes to you because you're a Christian and tells you they have a problem. Boy, you better love them. If you're going to judge them, they're going to be gone, and that's what they're going to think of Christians. And I'm going to tell you another secret about that. You are no better than they are. They may come to you with a problem and it's real and it's honest and they're big enough to share it with you, but I'm going to tell you, you've got three more. If they got one, you have three more, folks. Is that true of us or not? We all are sinners. But Jesus said this. Don't offend them. They don't know who I am. 
Do you know why people are not saved? They don't understand who he is. Because I'm telling you this, the question of salvation comes and goes and people, they ponder it. But if Jesus walked in that back door, the question would be solved, wouldn't it? If Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, walked in that back door, first of all, you couldn't see for about 10 minutes. Second, you'd be smelling carpet fiber or in here just dust. But you'd be on the floor because flesh cannot stand in the presence of holiness. It can't. That's why we don't judge each other. Flesh cannot stand in the presence of holiness. If the risen Christ walked in that back door, everyone here would be on the floor immediately. And I preached that one Sunday, and a man goes, I would lean on his breast. I said, you're not John, and he's, he's resurrected. That wasn't after the resurrection. People, don't get an elevated idea of who you are. Now, that's a balance because Christ died for you. That's how, that's how much worth you have. But here, to, to lord that over other humans is wrong. It's just wrong. And here's who does it. And you'll get mad at me because you're just mad all the time anyway. People who are just angry all the time. Angry all the time. Do you know that I know and you both know, everybody here, we both know that the world's in a bad shape? I'm not the only one being hurt by this. And neither are you. It's interesting they asked Peter, not Jesus, does he pay the tax? They didn't approach Jesus. But I'll tell you what, a lot's on the table with that question. These are, these are worth, I'm saying, worth pondering. These are worth considering. These are not uh, media flashpoints. These are things that he calls his children to sit down and think, why did God say that? Why would Jesus say that? What's the significance of that answer? Now, there's a lot on the table when that, and his claim that, uh, to be his father's house was already out there on the table. But for some reason, by his own choosing, I don't, I don't claim to understand all this. By his own choosing, he said, I don't want to offend them, let's just pay the tax. He could have said, man, are you crazy? This is my house. I'm not paying tax, but it's for you to pay. He did not. They didn't understand who he was. He didn't push it. He didn't want to offend them. Not being offensive. Not being offensive. Now I want to get into something this morning that this will be controversial to you, maybe. I don't know, but it's a fact. But I want to see the, the answer from the scriptures. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy 6 and 9. 1 Timothy 6 and 9 says, But they that will be rich. We're talking about the temple tax. Do, do I need to pay tax? Do I have to pay tax? Should I be paying tax? It says in 1 Timothy 6 and 9 that they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10. For the love of money. Money is not the root of all evil. Quit saying that. Quit lying to people. If you don't know the verse, quit quoting it. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money's a money is, is a tool, folks. You need a shovel to dig a ditch. You need a brush to comb your hair. You need this tools. You need a hammer to drive a nail. You need a screwdriver to drive a screw, but you need money to buy groceries, to get things. It's nothing more than a tool. It's, it's, you lay it alongside any other equipment, and it's one other thing. It is just a tool. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith 
and perceive themselves through with many sorrows. Erred from the faith, the same word we used in the last hour, they become reprobates. The love of money is the root of all evil. I've been uh, working now for a long time. I go to work every day. I wouldn't uh, go there as often or stay as long if there wasn't money involved, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't put all the hours in I had if it didn't pay money. I enjoy work. I enjoy accomplishment. But I need some money. I don't need all of it. Some of it's good. Here's the problem. I'm grateful the Lord has provided for me a home, shelter, put my kids in school, clearly getting plenty of groceries. It's a warm place. It's a dry place. It's a place that's very comfortable for us. But it's enough. It is enough. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's people who can't get enough. And, and, and the means that, that they'll use to get it. They'll hurt other people. They'll do other things. They'll do things to other people to get more money. But I'm going to talk about some things in a minute. We need to understand the foundation. It is the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so you say to me this. It's a logical question. How did that, how did the well, uh, evil is in the Garden of Eden? Did they have money? First person to ask me that, I said, you know what, that's a great question. I'm going to let you think about that a little bit because I had no idea what to say. They said, well, pastor, if the love of money is the root of all evil, was evil in the garden? I said, evil was in the garden. Wait a minute, what are you saying? And they said, was there money in the garden? Look up the word money. You know what it means? The love of an insatiable self-promotion. Me, me, more, more, me, more, me for me, more for me. Uh, that's what it is. Now, you know what? If you make good money, God is blessing you. Good for you. Share it. Enjoy it. Uh, most people give about two-thirds of it to the university for about 15 years. Uh, what we do. But the love, the lust of self-promotion is what the Bible's talking about. Now listen, I will talk about our history for just a minute. And you may fact-check me. I'm not talking about politics particularly, but politics has used it. And if you can't tell the difference, don't text me. Text yourself. Okay, you figure it out. Here's our history. It was a cold winter night in 1913. It was a, it was a cold winter night in Washington. It was two days before Christmas. And wouldn't you know it, most of Congress was sent home for Christmas vacation, but a few were held back, just a handful. A select few were held back. And here's, here's what they did. Cold winter night. It was Christmas break. And they put together what we call the Federal Reserve Act. That was put together by a few people and then signed into law. Now, if you look that up, you're going to see with me this. That gave foreign agencies, foreign agencies, complete control of American monies. You don't believe that. Look it up. 
That was done in a, under the cloak of darkness when most people were away, but a few were selected to stay. Can you imagine that? Can, can that really happen? And that was the handiwork of Woodrow Wilson, who, look him up, said this when he was dying, I'm a most unhappy man. I have sold out my country. Read it. Again, keep your text. I don't want it. That was the handiwork of Woodrow Wilson. And after signing the Federal Reserve Act into law, Wilson amended the Constitution to create the federal income tax, and that was known, the amendment was known as the 16th Amendment. Listen how it reads. An important amendment that allows the federal, that is, United States government, to levy, which is collect, an income tax for all Americans. Income tax allows the federal government to keep an army, build roads and bridges, enforce laws, and... And, listen to this, the tag, carry out other important duties. <laughs> I love it. Don't you love it? Don't you love the honesty and integrity of the, of the Lord? Don't you as a Christian son and daughter love the integrity of Jesus Christ? No tag on us. No pork. He says what it is and says this. And I give you all of these things and they're right here before you for your good. And for your children's good, and for your home, and for your nation. But they they signed that okay, so they signed that into law, and they wrote the amendment, and it says, it says now to keep an army, build roads and bridges, enforce laws, and carry out other important duties. Wow. Let's just now discern and decide what important duties are. Now, the full impact of this was not felt until Franklin Roosevelt applied a 20% withholding tax on small wage earners and up to 90% on those having higher incomes. But you know what he said. Look it up. Only to last for the duration of the Second World War. As long as the war is in play and we need the money, that's as long as this is going to happen. Folks, it's, <laughs> it's 2021. Now, what's the problem? What's the problem? In Scripture, and that's, that's I'm laying, I'm, we're behind that now. That's our history. I want to tell you the answer. There's a lot of answer. The answer is this. In Scripture, the plan is laid out to the discerning reader of the Bible. That's why you have to get in the Bible and learn. The, it's, here's the plan. It's laid out in Scripture. And it's used by God for healing. And it's used by the underworld for great harm. Now, because of the way it was done, sold out completely to foreign agencies, by the way, the, the manipulation of American money was now easy. Easy. The plan is simple. The plan has been simple. It's in the Bible, by the way. Look it up all over. I'm going to give you a lot of it this morning. Here's what it is. When there's a crisis, find the cure. When there's a crisis, discover the cure. And we look in the garden. I'm not talking about politics. We're going back to the garden with Eve. And Satan came. And uh, with his voice. It's, it's, a, it's a recorded place in the Bible where the voice of Satan is used. And the conversation is person to person. And Satan came and said, Eve... Eve, you think God loves you? Do you? 
You know what he don't want? He don't want you to be like him. Did you know the rest of the Bible is, is written so we'll learn to be like him? Did you know that? And so Satan comes up, and ladies, Satan was not a snake. <laughs> a woman wouldn't talk to a snake for 20 seconds, let alone have a conversation. He turned into one, but he was a beautiful creature in that tree in the garden. The tree, the forbidden tree. Oh, the forbidden fruit we've heard so much about. And so we have in the garden a crisis. Eve believed him. Eve believed him. She took of the fruit and she did eat. Adam took and he did eat. Now we have a crisis. You know what the first crisis and the pattern shows us? The crisis is made and the cure is from outside the crisis. God himself is the cure to the destruction in the garden. You believe that? The condition of man had no remedy. The fall of man. And God steps in and says, I'll fix that. I'm going to send my son there one of these days. I'm going to send my son to die. He'll pay the debt you just incurred because you can't pay it. Oh God, you can't pay that? You curse all of mankind by that. And you can't pay that debt. I'll send my son. And he'll come with one intention and one purpose and one plan. And that is to die in your hand, in your behalf so you don't have to die. And we have this Jesus Christ who came and took our hell. He came and took our hell. God himself is the cure. So Adam and Eve, we look at Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, God's man. God has spoke face to face. Abraham, the man of God. And he got in a place when they were in their 80s. And he said, oh, this is dangerous. My wife is so beautiful, that king is going to want to kill me and take my wife. And you know what he told the king? She's my sister. Abraham lied. Abraham lied. And God said, oh, what you just did. Why did he lie? Where did that come from? Why didn't he just turn to this God he knew so well and say, God, they're going to kill me for my wife. You can't. Let, you promised me children. And so he lied. David and Bathsheba. David created a crisis. He was on the palace top. He looked down and saw a woman bathing. He saw Bathsheba. What was the crisis? His imagination took him over. And because he was the king and had the power, he said, you get me that woman and bring her to me. Crisis. Crisis. Where did the cure come from? The same nasty voice. How do we cure this? How do we cure this? I have another man's wife in here and then she's pregnant with my child and how do I cure this? I'll kill that man. Do you see, here's what I'm telling you this morning. When the crisis and the cure have the same source, be very careful. You believe that? When the crisis and the cure are born of the same womb, oh, be careful, be careful. Solomon. You know what? Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, and he asked God for wisdom to govern the people. 
what he didn't ask for was wisdom to govern his own heart. God said, Solomon, I want you to not do three things. I don't want you to multiply money, women, or horses. And he did all three of those with all of his life. He died in shame, in moral failure. Isn't that something? Wish you had wisdom. It isn't the having of wisdom, it's the using of wisdom that makes us. And so the answer is always the Lord. That's what I want to say. What about Satan's wiles? Satan's wiles have been through the years, listen very carefully, to create the crisis and to offer the cure. To create the crisis and to offer the cure. That's been Satan's plan throughout the years. Folks, we're here again. We're here again. What was his remedy to Eve when he created the crisis in the garden? Doubt and denial. Instead of turning right to God and saying, God, I've sinned. Oh, God, I've sinned. You said not to, and I did it. They, what they do? They sewed fig leaves. Would that be comfortable? Well, I'd have a fig leaf suit, wouldn't you? They sewed fig leaves together, and they hid themselves from God and said, he's walking in the cool of the day, and he said, Adam, where are you? First question in the Bible, Adam, where are you? He said, I hid myself. He said, from who? For what? And he said, well, I'm naked. He said, who told you that? And he called him out. Mistrust of the true source. That's the offer of the remedy. Here's what Satan offers throughout all the time. After that, money, sex, power, material gain, and enslavement. That's what Satan has been offering the entire time since the Garden of Eden. Does that sound familiar? How do we fix this? Money. Sex will do it. Really? Power? Material gain? If you can just be rich enough and own enough and have enough, why well, you'd be happy? I know a lot of people with a lot of stuff who are miserable. Do you? Does that sound familiar? Create the crisis. Create the remedy. Create the crisis. We're told in the Bible to have strength, by the way. The Lord's the source of our power. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Our, our deal is to be strong in the Lord, and it's from his power that we receive that strength. Satan offers power that's not even his to give, and ours we can't even own it. I think we've confused strength and power. I believe that. John 15 and 5 said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, the Bible says of Christ, Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. Is that true? Well, there are men who have built empires who don't even know the Lord. Without me, you can do nothing of any value. Real, honest, eternal value. You can do nothing. Everything a man builds outside of Jesus Christ through any other source is going to go and be gone, burn up. It'll be gone. And it damages people along the way. Philippians 4 and 13 says this, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We get our strength from Christ, and he is our power source. Zechariah 4 and 6 says this, And he answered and spake unto him, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying this, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's not your brain and your brawn that's going to get you in this world. Here's what happens when you live on brain and brawn. You wear out. Your brawn starts hurting and it can't hardly get out of bed. And your brain can think of nothing but the fact that you're in pain. But to live on the strength of the Lord and the joy of the Lord 
went to work. I went to work cutting hair when I was 18 years old, and I envied my friends who worked construction and worked out in the sun and got sunshine and they got weather and they got things. And they were stronger. I was getting weaker by the day, and they were getting stronger. There comes a plateau, and then there comes a. It starts to hurt after a while. You, the body is not made. And so what happened in my generation was many of the people, many of my peers got very good at what they did in the labor field. And when it was time for them to slow down because their body was getting older, the young people didn't come up with a work ethic that would do the work. Is that right? I've heard it a hundred times. I have a friend who was a sheetrock man and, and uh, he used to hang 20, 20 foot sheets of sheetrock by himself on the ceiling. And, uh, <laughs> Tried that. No good. <laughs> today, his shoulders, he can't, today he lays in pain. He just, my age, he's 63 this year with me, he, he cannot hardly raise his arms to take to drink his coffee. His shoulders hurt so bad. And I said, what happened? He said, well, I was a young buck and I wanted it done and we had a deadline and the kids weren't helping and no one wanted to learn how to do the job to his specification, so he did it. You know what the amazing thing is? The company is still there. The word was shoddy, but the company is still there. Why don't you compare this with me this morning? This is the temptation of Jesus Christ, by the way. The temptation of Christ, Luke 4, verse 5, it says, And the devil, taking him to a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, listen very carefully to Jesus Christ, the devil said to Jesus, all this power will I give thee. All this power I'll give thee. And the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, to whomsoever I will give it. If, if thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. The devil's been whispering that in the ear of people all the time. What shall it profit a man? What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You see the promise and the premise. The promise and the premise of that is much of how the world still operates. The Lord will never lie to you. And let me tell you a secret. Satan can never tell you the truth. He's a liar from the beginning and the father of all lies. He is a liar. The Lord can't lie and Satan can't tell the truth. And Abraham said, my wife is so beautiful, I'll say she's my sister. And we find Abraham was trusting the wrong source. Believe a lie. David, the second look, the imagination, the taking of the forbidden, a crisis. Where was that crisis born from? What was the womb of the crisis? get rid of her husband. That's the cure. Where's that born from? The crisis and the cure except for Jesus Christ. Very dangerous when they come from the same source. Very dangerous. And so we look at Solomon. The wisest man, the Bible says. The Bible says, God said, wisest man that ever lived and ever will live. God gave him more wisdom than any man will ever have or ever had before him, and he died in immorality. 
You want to read that? Read his confession. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all of it. It's emptiness, folks. Everything under the sun. But you know what that implies? Everything above the sun is wonderful. Everything below the sun has a curse. And the curse is, he said, I tried sex. I tried money. I tried gardens. I tried music. I had singers. I had cooks. I had kids. I had uh, plantations. I had running water. I had this. He said all of it was vexation of spirit. All of it was. Nothing on this earth will satisfy what the Lord intended to satisfy. Nothing. Nothing satisfies. And so we have trouble. And usually we invade our entire home with that trouble. And so that was the crisis. Tried everything in the world, but it didn't satisfy. What's the cure? The book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the cure. The crisis is in the flesh. The cure is in Christ. Believe it? He said, I did everything, I gave everything heart could wish. The book of Ecclesiastes, he said, I went, I had women, oh, I had money, I had food, I had gardens, I had singers, I got me this, I got me that. And he said, all of it was vexation of soul and spirit. All of it. I got tired of all of it. It wore off. The, the newness wore off and the greatness wore off. And then he says in Proverbs, his solution in the book of Proverbs is this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. He says, listen, my son. Listen, my son. And the answer is two things in this world that Solomon came up with, the wisest man. He said, enjoy your wife, enjoy your work. Enjoy your wife and your work. Love and accomplishment. Isn't that something? The world doesn't get that. And so our flesh, in our flesh, crisis comes for a number of reasons. There's a lot of ignorance in the world of who Christ is. There's rebellion against when they find out who he is. There's a laziness, and the one that God says mostly is pride. The reason that most people don't come to Christ is just flat out pride. And the question is, can we fix ourselves? Well, listen to Paul. This is the crisis from the Apostle Paul. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Isn't that true? When I'm driving, when I'm driving and my flesh responds, it doesn't compliment the other drivers very often. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present, but how to perform that, I don't know. I don't feel. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present in me. That's the crisis, our flesh. The cure. Same passage. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ who is the answer. No, I'm just about done. I want you to finish with me. Listen carefully. I believe this to be very true. The created crisis is always a means or the mean to the cure. You put it in modern day however you want to. I'm not preaching anything but the truth. You put it in your life how you want to. This is the thing. The created crisis is always the mean or the means to the cure. If it's not God, be very careful. Listen to what Hosea 6 and 1 says. Come, let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. And after two days he will revive us. And in the third day he will raise us up again. And we shall live in his sight. The crisis and the cure from the same source is okay if it's God. 
because he doesn't do one or the other to destroy but to build. John 10 and 10 says this, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's a crisis. Satan comes into our life to create a crisis. He wants to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy. Jesus said, the next verse, the same verse, I am come that they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. That's the opposite of steal, kill, destroy. Have life abundantly is the opposite. He's the cure. Satan comes to steal. He wants your health. He wants your joy. He wants your family. He wants your sanity. He wants your pleasure. He wants everything. He wants you to hate this world. Because if you hate this world and hate your life, guess what? You're going to be one of his best soldiers. If you have a hate and a bitterness in you for what life has turned out to be, you're going to be one of his best soldiers. Oh, he wants to spread, spread it and spew his venom. He wants people to see what an angry man and an ugly woman look like. He wants the ugliness of someone who's bitter. That ugly heart and spirit of a man and a woman. He wants the world to see that. Particularly if they'll wear the name Christian. But Satan comes to steal. Whatever the Lord gives, he wants it. And the number one thing he wants is your joy. Is your joy. And so the cure is the question. If you're born of the same womb, be very careful. What do you bet with me now? And again, keep it to yourself. <laughs> what do you bet with me now that with the crisis, the cure is going to bring an economic crisis? What do you believe? Believe that with me? Can I tell you this? It won't. I don't believe it will for a second. That will, be the, that will be the tout. That will be what the world screams right now is the cure was so expensive. We now headlong into an economic crisis. Will not be. Will not be. It's going to be all right. Where will the cure come from? Where will that cure come from? The economic cure come from? Well, folks, we have to go into some kind of wild bondage again. We have to now because the cure was so expensive. Can I tell you this? It's not going to happen. It's easy to see. It's hidden in plain sight. I'm going to finish this morning. I'm going to read this to you. This is why the Apostle Paul was called. And this is what God called every minister of the gospel to do. And this is what people don't like. People who know the Lord love it. People who don't, don't like it. And people who know the Lord and will not live for him don't like it either. But here's what, here's what the Lord said about the Apostle Paul. He said, but rise to Paul. Paul was, there's no mention of a horse. Everybody puts a horse in there. But he said he fell to the ground and the Lord shone a great light on him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what Paul said? The name of Saul at the time, he said, Lord, who art thou? Who art thou? And what will thou have me to do? The two greatest questions in a life, in the world, in the universe, in the time, in eternity. The two greatest questions of who art thou, Lord? I need to know you. He wants a relationship with you. Who art thou, Lord? And what will you have me to do? 
And so here's what he said when he was teaching, when he was telling along the way. He was in bondage, he was in chains, and he was cuffed, and he was given his testimony, and he said, and the Lord said, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Think of that. God wants to be in your life. Very personal. Very personal. And here's what he said. Delivering thee. Delivering thee from the people and the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And here's why he went. Here's why he went. To open their eyes. He said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, and here's what I'm sending you for. This is Paul's purpose. What's your purpose? Everybody has a purpose. God made you for a purpose. He said, Paul, your purpose is this, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness for their sins. I read that when I was a little boy. had no idea what I was talking about. I went to my pastor friend. I was a little boy. And I said, what, what does that mean? This is what he did with Paul? What does that mean? And he said, he sent Paul to tell them who he is. So they can go to heaven one day and be with him. Isn't that good news? To open their eyes. You see, we're a bunch of, we're a bunch of newborn kittens around here. We don't see yet. And the tomcat's lurking. The old tom's walking around going to kill that whole bunch if he can and the mother's job is to keep Tom away and tell the kids the kitty's eyes open. Old Satan was, he's a big cat. He's a he's a lion seeking who may devour. You know what the Lord said? You better get your eyes open. Number one and number two, you better get real close to me. The closer you get to me, he don't come around here. He just doesn't come around here. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. If you're not under the power of God, you're under the power of Satan. You're one or the other. It's the way it works. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith in me. Just the opposite of kill, steal, and destroy. You love him this morning. Amen. If you say you're a Christian here this morning, you love him. Do you believe this is his book, the letter he wrote to you and me? time you spend in here. Oh, I know, I know here's what I'm preaching to. I know this, we're busy. Oh man, you don't know how busy I am. Of course I don't. <clears throat> yeah, a man with three jobs don't have any clue how busy people can get. I'm telling you right now, I don't know how busy you are. But I know this. When my day is full, I'm not bragging, I'm not complaining, I'm just telling you this, I love this. When my day is full, I have to get up earlier to read the Spend some time in the Word of God. Now, some of you people get up in a, at old dark thirty. Some of you people get up middle night anyway. I don't know how you do that one. You have to do it in the evening, I guess. But I'm gonna tell you this. I've got my life planned in such a way that I start my day with the Word of God. And can I tell you something? The world can't shake me. I'll go through the crisis with them, but I'm not having them pure. I don't mind playing their game for a while. I'll go through the crisis with them some, but I'm not playing the game of the cure. I was cured when I was 10 years old. I was cured when I was 10 years old. 
I got to lay in bed over Christmas time when most of you people were having a better time than our house was. I got to lay in bed for seven days. I didn't know if it was morning or evening. I was in a sweaty flux. But you know where my mind went? How good God is. I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm telling you this. He keeps you. He keeps you. People kept calling and saying, is he dead yet? Is he going to die? Is he, he going to die? I didn't, come, I didn't even come close to dying. Strange deal we have going now. The, the, vibe, the thing is real. But the worst thing that happened to me for the Christmas holiday was I couldn't taste anything. I don't mind hurting a little bit, but come on, that was Christmas. People bringing me plates of goodies, and I thought, that's a good texture there. Man, that's got some texture to it. When you know it's good. My wife jumped up Christmas, New Year's Eve, and she said, yes, I, we haven't had food for 10 days. I'm going to Sonic. Well, we're a party house. I said, go. I was tired of soup. Yeah, she's tired of soup. I didn't care. Couldn't taste it anyway. Drink the soup, lick the bowl. I didn't care. It didn't taste the same. She went to Sonic and brought me back. A, oh, it's one of the best textures I've had in a long time. Can I tell you something? In my bed. In a time when my mind was confused, I was feverish and talking dumber than I do normally. Made less sense than I normally do. I was laying there and the Lord was right beside me saying, it's going to be all right. You're good. And I knew it. And I knew it. I've been twice... I've been three times on the table where they said, we're going to take you back and work on your heart. You may not come out of there. Do you know what the Lord said every time? I got this. You're good. Folks, be very careful when the cure and the crisis are born in the same womb. Be very careful. Be very aware. You think he can save you? You think he loves you this morning? Do you know people died in this thing too? Do you know the Lord's in full control? Do you know it? Lord, we've been praying for many now. It seems like for two years. I don't know if it's been that long, but you know what? She's been bad. People who, people who had very fewer symptoms than that have died in this thing. It's in the Lord's hand. Trust him. It's, it's a miracle she's not dead, and I thank the Lord that he's kept her this long. I know it. Blood clots in the lungs and all those things. I didn't suffer that stuff. I couldn't taste, man. It's bad. I'm telling you, it got rough. But people really suffer. It's not funny. People really suffer. One person will come in and have no symptoms and never get any. Next person comes in and trying to keep them alive in three, three hours. It's the strangest thing, but it's real. But, but listen very carefully one more time. When the cure is born of the same womb as the crisis, be very careful. Father, we thank you this morning now. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us understanding. Father, we just ask now that we might live in such a way to please you. No matter what the world says, no matter what people say, we want to please you. Give us the strength and understanding and courage and the spirit to do it, we pray. Go with us now. Be with us and stay with us. Keep us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.